so, did you do it? Last week, did you go and read the four chapters around the crucifixion of Christ or watch Jesus is condemned before Pilate or Jesus is scourged and crucified? Have you shared with someone in your life how you feel about the Savior, knowing that he suffered and died for you? I hope that you did, because today we get to end the Gospels. This is it. We are wrapping up what these four gentlemen had to say about the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Savior. The four Gospels share some very similar things when it comes to speaking of the resurrected Christ. But each of them take their own version, like all of us would as witnesses of something. Matthew and Luke are short. John's account is extremely long. And Mark is kind of in between. Now, preparing someone for burial is an interesting process. I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity to do that. I had the opportunity at age 26, 27 to help prepare my mother for burial. The situation was a little interesting because she had had surgery. And because she had had surgery, we didn't get the opportunity to actually dress her so much because she had a major hole in her overall body, right, in her abdomen from a colon surgery that she had had the week before. And so because it was oozing and it was difficult to keep everything together, we didn't get to put her actually in her dress, but we did have the opportunity to put her into her temple robes. And I will never forget the opportunity to prepare my mother to be placed in her casket. It is a, an experience that is only shared with my older sister. We were the two individuals there, and it became pretty comical for the two of us as we began to try and maneuver this very stiff and lifeless body in the directions that we needed to, as we tried to handle our own grief we created our own comical situation where I found myself looking at my sister and looking at my my mother who was laid out on this table and said, Mom, why do you have to be such dead weight when we're trying to help you? And my sister burst out laughing. And then she began, she's like, yeah, you're just really stiff. The least you could do is help us. And we began making all of these puns and these jokes and taking an opportunity that to some seemed very, could seem very sad into this like hilarious moment shared between the three of us. Now, there was one onlooker who happened to come up and say, girls, I don't think that you should be laughing quite like this. And we felt a little chastised and corrected and we waited for her to walk away. And then we began again to make the jokes as we continued to prepare her and, and got her finally prepared. The reality is, is preparing her for burial was something else. Now, what also makes this really interesting is the person who chastised us within six months lost her spouse. And because of situation and knowing her and her family very well, I took time to go back up to Idaho to attend the viewing of her spouse. And an interesting thing happened. As I made my way through that receiving line and offered my condolences, she gave me a big hug and she said, Candace, I apologize. I didn't understand what you and your sister were trying to deal with, but I do now. And I get why you approached the way that you did. I'm sorry. I sincerely mean it when I say it is one of my most favorite memories with my sister and with my mother, because that day we felt her presence there as we were laughing trying to prepare her for burial. 
Now, you may be listening saying, okay, that is like the most wackadoo story to start with. Thanks a lot for that. But the reason that I'm starting there is because there are a couple of Marys who want to ensure, just like my sister and I did, that everything was just right with our mom. Mary and Mary, they want to ensure that everything is just right with the Savior. If you recall, he was taken off the cross late at night, and because it was the entrance into the Jewish Sabbath, they couldn't do much to prepare the body. They put him into the sepulcher. Because he had said he was going to rise again, they rolled the stone in front of it, making it so that he couldn't leave, and then they set guards there. Now, all of those pieces of information are really important. We've got guards that are set there. We've got a stone in front of the tomb. But we also have a body that wasn't completely prepared for burial the way that they would want to. So, at the first of the week, the Marys, they head out. And we find out what happens in Matthew 28. I love this account. Verses 1 through 6. And in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for two angels of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door, and they sat upon it. Now, I don't know about you, but if I saw two angels sitting on my mom's headstone, I'd be like, what? So here are the Marys. There's two angels sitting on the stone. Verse 3, And their countenance was like lightning, and their raiment was white as snow. And for the fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angels answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for we know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. Then you gotta love what they say. He is not here. For he is risen as he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Well, they go, they look inside of the tomb, and, as you and I know, it's empty. He's not there. Seven, the angels say, And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, there shall you see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. Now, if you read verse 8, that, that sounds a little odd, right? They depart the sepulcher with fear and great joy. Now, when we're talking about fear, we're not talking about the type of fear of like, oh, no, I'm so afraid. That, that's not what we're talking about here. When we're talking about fear in this essence, we're talking about the definition of deep respect. So they leave with deep respect and great joy, and they did run. Now, here's a really important question for us. Do we run to share who we are and what we know, like the Marys, or do we shy away? Do we run and share who we are and what we know, or do we shy away? Let me show you what I mean. So within this last month, I had the opportunity to travel for work. And in the process of traveling for work, Everyone that I associated with was a member of another faith. Totally fine. No problem. Well, at one particular instance throughout a day, I had an opportunity to talk about what a mission is and what do you do as a missionary and how long are you there and what happens as a missionary. Then later on that day, I would find myself at a tiki bar. Now, there's something that you do need to know about me. I love a good tiki bar. I love the decorations. 
I love tiki mugs. I love tiki lanterns. I think like I might, I might need to do like my ancestry and find if I've got like this hint of Polynesian in me or something, because I really dig some of this cultural stuff. And in the process of all of that, because my extended family are members of other faith, I've learned very well how to be in that type of atmosphere, particularly if it's something that's out poolside. And because of where I was for work, this particular tiki bar was poolside where we were meeting. And so as we're sitting there, we began talking with other people at the bar. Well, in the process of sitting at the bar and talking with other people, an intense rainstorm moved in. And because the rainstorm was so big, we knew we were just going to sit there. Like, there was no way I was going out into that rainstorm if I didn't have to. Well, these two older gentlemen from the Northeast had the thickest Bostonian accents. We began talking. Well, as we're sitting there talking, I ordered my tonic water with lime. My work colleague that I was with ordered, you know, his beverages. And as we're all sitting there talking, all of a sudden, one of the Bostonians looked at me and said, now, where is it you're from? And I said, I'm from Salt Lake City. He's like, so Utah. And I said, yes. Then his friend said, are you a Mormon? Now, those of you who have listened to some of my other episodes know how I've approached this question in the past. So without hesitation, not wanting to disappoint myself and anyone else, I said, I am. To which his friend responded, I know some other Mormons, like Donnie and Marie. I said, you bet. Donnie and Marie, yes, they are Mormons. Then he said, oh, and how about Mitt Romney and Danny Ainge? And they began naming all of the Mormons that they could think of. Well, in the process of this happening, I realized something very interesting inside of myself, that I could be a representative of the Savior no matter where I was, that I didn't need to shy away, that I could be like Mary and run and bring his word to others. You see, the Savior calls us to do something. There are a multiplicity of reasons why he would show himself. But in all of the accounts, we find a very similar piece. You see, on that same business trip, I had the opportunity to return home to the Salt Lake City Airport. And anybody that's been to the Salt Lake City Airport, I don't think it matters what time of day you're there. But they're generally in the waiting area, somebody waiting to receive a missionary. However, I had the great opportunity to be at the gate the furthest away from baggage claim, which means I got to walk the entire A terminal. And that bad boy is long. And so in the process of walking the A terminal, as I made it about halfway through, was a group of missionaries leaving. And the reason that they caught my eye is you could see the excitement and the anticipation. Like it was this cluster of missionaries and they were so excited. I couldn't quite read their tags. So I wasn't sure like if they were going foreign or what that all was. And I didn't have an opportunity to stop them, but I could see and feel the energy of their excitement. Now, as I made it all the way through the airport and headed towards luggage claim, clearly there were two or three missionaries that were greeting their families post-mission. One of them was bent down and she was getting things out of her bag for her little brothers. Another one was hugging his mom. There were signs, there were balloons. It was amazing to see that in this 10 minute time span, I got to see the beginning and the end of a mission. The excitement and the anticipation and the electricity of those leaving and the sheer peace of those who had returned. Now, the reason that I share that with you is because 
this is an example of what the Savior is trying to get us all to do. See, the book of Matthew ends with this, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. These youth have taken seriously something that the resurrected Christ taught. He said, teach all nations, not just some, but we've got to go everywhere. And we've got to share what? Baptism in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost in teaching them to observe, love this, all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Well, the Savior, being the Savior, he teaches everything he does by example. There isn't anything that he asks you and I to do that he's not willing to do himself. Even as the resurrected Savior, he continues to teach by example. Let me show you what I mean. We're going to jump over into the book of Luke. And in Luke, we find this happening. Luke chapter 24. I want to start in verse number 13. And behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. That distance, as a side note, is about seven and a half miles. It's a pretty good walk. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So here is the resurrected Savior about to take a seven-mile walk with a couple of the disciples. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these that ye have one to another, as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are to come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he who should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and a certain woman also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. Now, did you catch everything that is in there? Everything we've been talking about. This Cleopas, he, he reminds us of. They trusted that he should have redeemed Israel. Remember, we talked last week about how they were seeking a savior to save Israel from who? From the Romans. But the savior saved us from so much more than Romans. He saved us from ourselves. He saved us from the natural man. He saved us from death. And he opened the way for us to become more like him. Verse 24. And a certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even as the woman had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, this is the Savior, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, this is the part I love, he expounded them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
Now, expound means to do exactly that, to provide information, background, context, all the missing pieces. And so here is the Savior teaching about himself, expounding on himself, to these two gentlemen walking to the road of Emmaus. And they drew nigh into the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening. And the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass that he sat at meat with them. He took bread, he blessed it, break, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? They had literally walked with him seven and a half miles. And it wasn't until he left that they recognized how they felt. So that causes me to ask a really important question. How do you recognize Christ in your life? When do you know that he's there? In what way is he trying to tell you every single day that he loves you? I know that I experienced one recently that reminded me of how in the details he is. As I mentioned, I've been having to travel a little bit for my real job. That's not my real job. My real job is a mom. I had to travel for my moneymaker job, which is to support these companies. And in the process of traveling, when my plane landed on the most recent trip, I had a text that said, did you get lost? Do you know how to get here? And all of a sudden, my mind was triggered. I was supposed to be speaking at a girl's camp at the exact time that my plane was landing. I quickly text back and I said, I am so sorry. I have dropped the ball on you. I recognize I was supposed to be a part of this panel. I was called out of the state for work unexpectedly. So I was called out of the state unexpectedly. I'm really sorry. How can I make it up to you? Is everything okay? And the recipient responded and said, I just wanted to make sure that you were okay. We actually had a bishop show up unexpectedly. He wasn't scheduled to be up here. And when he arrived, we asked him to fill in since we weren't sure where you were. It all worked out great. In that moment, I knew that the Savior knew me. I knew that he loved me. I knew that he was aware of me. And I recognized that he was working in my life. So how do you see him? Where does he show up to say, I love you every day? See, the resurrected Christ, he wants something from you and I. But true, he does. He wants something very specific from you and I. And I love the way that he asks Peter about it. We're in John chapter 21. And in verse number 15, he says to Peter, So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. 
But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hand, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. Three times Christ asked Peter, Lovest thou me? And three times Peter responds, You know I do. And then the Savior follows up with one time, Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Now, I love that he starts with lambs. Because lambs are the little guys. And I love the little guys. Like, I have to totally own, I miss being in primary. I'm in my 50s and I miss primary. But I miss primary because of the little guys. There's something about little guys testifying of what they know. We had an interesting thing take place. Our deacons quorum decided, and like I said, I don't know if it was voluntary or challenge or whatever, but all of our deacons started sharing their testimonies. And some of our deacons are still kind of little guys. And there they were all standing and testifying of simple truths that they know. That Jesus is the Christ. That we have a prophet of God. That the Book of Mormon can help us. In other words, they understood what the Savior was saying. See, in verse 22, Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is it unto thee? Follow thou me. The Savior wants us to follow him, but what does it really mean if we're going to follow the Savior? Well, I love that the Nephi, as he's wrapping up his testimony, says the following. In 2 Nephi chapter 31, and we're going to take these verses in a really word order, but we're going to start in verse number 10. And in 2 Nephi 31, the Savior talks to us about what it means to really follow him. And he said unto the children of men, Follow thou me. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, can we follow Jesus, save we shall be willing to keep the commandments of the Father? Okay, so do you get the first thing we got to do to follow him? We got to be willing to keep the commandments. And the Father said, Repent ye, repent ye, and be baptized in the name of my beloved Son. Okay, two more actions. We've got to repent a lot because it's repent, he repent, he be baptized. So we're to three things. And also the voice of the Son came unto me, saying, He that is baptized in my name, to him will the Father give the Holy Ghost like unto me. Wherefore, follow me and do the things which you have seen me do. Did you catch that? We've got to receive the Holy Ghost, and then we're supposed to follow the Savior and do the things that he would do. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, I know that if you will follow the Son with full purpose of heart, acting no hypocrisy, no deception before God, but with real intent, repenting of your sins and witnessing unto the Father that you are willing to take upon you the name of Christ by baptism, yea, by following your Lord and your Savior down into the water according to his word, behold, then shall you receive the Holy Ghost, yea, then cometh the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, and then can you speak with the tongue of angels and shout praises unto the Holy One of Israel." And again it showeth unto the children of men the straightness of the path and the narrowness of the gate by which they should enter, he having set the example before them. Christ set us the example. I love when he says, do the things which you have seen me do. But the reality is, is you and I, we try to complicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like We try to complicate it with programs and with plans and with boxes to check and things to do because we got to be busy. We're going to be busy serving the Lord when really it's as easy as this. 
One of the things I do on every single business trip, I am notorious for trying to find the best donut in the United States. I love donuts. I taste donuts everywhere I go. I Google best donuts near me all the time. I'll order them in. I'll Uber them in. I'll Uber eat them. I'll super eat them. It doesn't matter. I love a donut. And so here I am in Florida. And I decide to see if I could find the best donuts near me at about 9 o'clock at night. And there was a little mom and pop shop that was open. So I drove across town and I went in there. And I don't know what was possessing me because I was by myself. But I bought a half a dozen donuts and thought that I would take them home on the airplane the next morning. Dumb idea. Well, I was looking at these donuts and they looked really pretty. And some of them had just come out of the oven. And I got a mixed half dozen. And I drove back over to my hotel. And as I walked into the lobby of the hotel... The two working at the front desk, one of them jokingly said, oh, I see you got me the donuts that I ordered. And not missing a beat, I said, actually, I did. Which one did you want? I can't remember. And I popped the box open to offer one of the concierge a donut. Then they started to kind of like be embarrassed, right? Like, no, no, I can't take it. I can't. And I'm like, yeah, you can. Take it. It's good. Take this donut. You love it. And so she picked the one that she wanted, went on her way. Well, I went upstairs and I ate part of the donut. And I thought to myself, wait a second, I want to try an experiment. You want something really fun to do? Buy yourself a half a dozen donuts and try this. I took this half a dozen donuts, and although I'd purchased them just for whatevs, I was impressed to do something different with them. I gave myself and felt the challenge to try to get rid of all of those donuts before I got on the airplane the next morning. Well, my flight was early, and I got out to the valet, I'm not kidding you, at 4.30 a.m., And I waited, and the valet was nowhere to be found. Valet was nowhere to be found. And finally, the valet showed up and was a little flustered because clearly the valet is not used to somebody standing there at 4.30 in the morning. She went and got my vehicle for me. And as she came back, I said, thank you so much for your help. Would you like a donut? And her face, like you could see the stress and things melt. And she's like, are you serious? And I said, yeah, totally. Pick which one you want. So she picked a donut out of my box. I drove to the airport. And, of course, I had to check my rental car in at the rental station, and the guy was getting my mileage and putting everything out, and he asked me if I needed anything. And I said, yeah, I actually do. I need you to have a donut this morning. And he's like, what? And I said, yeah, here, pick a donut. And I opened my box of donuts. And he looked at me and he said, are you serious? I said, yeah, totally serious. He's like, thank you, that is so nice. Well, he picked a donut out of my box, and I began walking into the rental area to get over to the bus. As I'm walking in the hallway, an older woman who worked there at one of the counters comes walking in. She's like, oh, good morning to me. I'm so glad that you're here at this time. I know you got one of those donuts for me. And I turned and I said, I did. And she paused and she said, wait, what? I said, I totally bought one of these donuts just for you. Which one would you like? And I opened the box. And she said, you can't be serious. And I said, I am totally serious. Pick which one you want. And she picked one of the remaining donuts. And she said, I am so excited to go up and share this with one of my friends. She'll never believe that somebody just gave us a donut. Well, I went up and I got on the shuttle bus. And as I got off the shuttle bus, I said to the driver who helped me with my luggage, would you like a donut this morning? To which he smiled and he said, I'm sorry, what? And I said, would you like a donut? And he responded, no, thank you, but that's so nice. And you could see that something had changed in his morning. Friends, all I had was a half a dozen donuts. But people's mornings were being impacted the way that the Savior would have us impacted. Wouldn't he give people a donut? 
wouldn't he find a way to simply try to lift them? You see, this wraps up the Gospels. It brings us to the end. And in the process of that, we've learned a lot of names, a lot of representations, a lot of things. Like we know that the Savior is the light, and we've talked about him being the Word, and he is wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We've talked a little bit about John the Beloved. We've touched on the sons of thunder and rock. We've looked at a whole bunch. However, how would you like to forevermore be known as Doubting? Is that the name you want? Hey, what's up, Doubting? Yeah, no, mm-mm. But we do have an individual in the scriptures who's known as Doubting. And I know you're thinking of it. It's Doubting who? Doubting Thomas. And in John chapter 20, we learn this about Doubting Thomas. I love him. Verses 26 through 31, John chapter 20. And after eight days, see, Thomas was not with the twelve when Christ came. The other disciples told him, look, we've seen him. And Thomas says, except I see his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and thrust my hand in his side, I won't believe. Did you catch the kind of witness he wants? It's not just a sure witness. It's a, I need to touch it all to make sure that this really happened. He takes the realm of, I've got to see it to believe it to a whole new level. But eight days later, the disciples were within and Thomas was with them. And then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Now, I love that sequence of verses because it shows how intimately the Savior knows us. The Savior knew Thomas doubted, and when he showed up eight days later, he asked Thomas to do the exact things that Thomas said he needed to do to believe. Did you catch that in verse 25? Unless I feel the print of his nails, put my fingers in the print, and thrust my hand in his side, and what does the Savior say in verse 27? Behold my hands, reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. But then the Savior gives him an action. Be not faithless, but be believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord, my God. And Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen yet, have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. You see, the purpose of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, is that we might believe Christ and through him have life. Now, what kind of life is it that Christ wants us to have? Well, we've talked about this, right? Doctrine and Covenants 14, 7. And if you keep my commandments and endure to the end, you shall have eternal life, which is the greatest of all the gifts of God. Because eternal life is what? Well, it's more than immortality. Remember Bell Rent last week that gave us immortality. The Savior resurrecting, that gives you immortality. It's guaranteed. 
but you and I weren't created just for immortality. We were created as sons and daughters of a God. And as such, he hopes that we will choose, using our agency, to believe Christ and through him gain eternal life, life with end like him, the ability to create worlds without end like he has done. That's what the Savior's asking. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through him. The Gospels are written that you and I might believe that Jesus is the Christ. So what are you going to go and do? Will you go and embrace opportunities to run towards him at your own tiki bars? Will you go and minister to others? It's as simple as a donut. Or holding a door open. Smiling at somebody and saying hello that you can see is carrying something heavy. It's also as simple as believing. If we are doing those things, then we're on the path to eternal life. If we brace opportunities to run towards him, it will take the time to minister to others. It can even be a text message. And if we will be believing, believe. When we do, then we are on the path to eternal life. I am grateful for the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm grateful for the insights that they provide in the life of the Savior. And I'm grateful that now we get to watch them in action as they and others disciples of Christ go out to teach. So will you go out? Will you go out and share what you know, embracing that opportunity to run towards him? I know as you do, you will find amazing moments of joy and peace, independent of locale. Make awesome things happen because you are a disciple of Christ. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Go and Do podcast. We would love it if you would leave us a review and click follow where you listen to your podcasts. We'd also appreciate hearing from you. Feel free to email us at thegoanddopodcast at gmail.com or connect with us on Instagram at goanddopodcast. The Go and Do podcast is created by me, Ken Shu, and produced by Cammie Fisher. We love having you follow along and look forward to hearing from you.